Hey there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose. I'm joined by Jonathan Baker. Good evening. And Clint Broadbent. Howdy. Along with a very special guest of Jerry Hawthorne. Well, howdy do. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you guys? Just fine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're the Punched and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. So we always like to try to bring game designers onto our podcast, talk about kind of their games, their process of designing and getting to know them a little bit better. So again, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Jerry. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Good. Jerry, one of the first things I always like to ask people who come on the show is, you know, what's your ba- your gaming background? How did you get into gaming? What's some of your early experiences with gaming? Uh, sure. I'll, um, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, no, no, just kidding. Um, so my gaming back- background starts off when I was a little kid and I had um, an older brother. My older brother is, he's, he's just one of those really mathy kind of people. And um, he would sit alone in his room and play these hex encounter games like squad leader or crescendo of doom or cross of iron or any of those i don't know if you guys are familiar with any of those war games those old chit and chit and hex war games mm-hmm. and he eventually roped me into playing an old game called starfleet battles with him and um so basically i went from not playing any games to cutting my teeth on Starfleet battles. (laughs) And I became my brother's, well, I wasn't very competitive, but I became that person that uh, relieved him of having to play his game solo. And, um, but I caught the bug as a little kid and my, my older brother um, took off to join the air force and became, you know, career air force. And um, without him around, but still having sort of this this missing feeling of wanting to play games, I kind of floated around for a little while, and then I discovered Dungeons and Dragons, and I got all absorbed in that, and I went off on years of uh, role playing, and um, and then when I joined the military, uh, I went overseas, did all this stuff with the military and everything, didn't play any games and stuff, and then uh, I right after I got out of the military, I, I moved in with my girlfriend, and I started having like this craving for playing board games and I went to this game store near my house and I found Hero Quest. Mm-hmm. And which is like my favorite game of all time because basically what it was, it just blew my mind because I mean, I opened it up and it was like all of those RPG experiences that we used to spend so much time creating. It was a board game that just condensed that all into like a nice little package. And it was like really easy to talk all my non-gamer friends into playing. And then I caught the bug again and I've been involved in board games and war games. I played Warhammer for a while, Warhammer 40k. I did a huge Necromunda campaign and got all involved in the games workshop thing. And then that kind of started to like peter out. And then I uh, just started getting involved in and making my own games and before the internet was a rage or anything started um, somehow or another getting involved in helping other game companies with playtesting at that time uh, playtesting for game companies used to happen at game stores so you would have somebody who had an in at some game company and they would come to the game store and they'd say hey we need to playtest stuff and they would have like all of this stuff that they had printed off you know on their home printer whatever all of this documentation and stuff and they would we would play test games i play tested some stuff for fossa and 
you know, other game companies and just in this weird uh, game store way that we did things back then. And I just, I caught the bug even more and um, I've always been tinkering with games and then next thing you know, I discovered HeroScape and um, I got brought on as a playtester for HeroScape and then eventually they started paying me to design stuff for HeroScape and then I started becoming a professional game designer. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And I know right now you're you're working primarily with Plaid Hat Games with Colby and his company. Yes, I'm officially a freelancer, but um, I don't freelance for anybody else. I just freelance for one game company for Plaid Hat Games. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny, but what also helps that they move to your to your town as well. Yes, and I mean we're all very close. We're we're a close knit group, and uh, they provide me an office space within their uh, offices and so I can I can literally go in there and design games and have this this space to do it and it's just it's been wonderful fantastic so I'm kind of curious have there been any games that you've played recently uh, outside of my own prototypes and whatnot sure <laughs> sure um, I recently played a, a game of Sheriff of Nottingham yes and now I love this game and I rule at Sheriff of Nottingham because <laughs> but only when I've been drinking, right? <laughs> so, so I played a sober game of Sheriff of Nottingham the other day and I did not rule. In fact, I was probably <laughs> the least effective player. So there is a connection between beer and my and my abilities when it comes to Sheriff of Nottingham. So Next time I play, I'm gonna like I'm gonna tie one on, and then I'm gonna rule again. <laughs> yeah. The inebriation theory, huh? There we go. It, but it, but it holds true because when I was at Gen Con um, this year, I got embroiled in a lot of of drunken gaming, and I rocked at all of the social deduction games and all of the all the games that well, some games that we played, like uh, like what is that iron and ale game? Yeah, where, the yeah, that one. that just involves drinking, just in general. I rocked at all those games, <laughs> but I'm sure that if I if I go to play those game any of those games again in a sober state, I probably would be lousy. Interesting. That'd be an interesting theory to test out. Like which games heighten your your ability when you've had a yeah. bit to drink. <laughs> we're we're going to correlate. We're going to call it the inebriation correlation. <laughs> there you go. That's the that's our new theory. Seriously, because there are some games like that there you know, if you get a little bit loosened up from some from some good dragon's milk beer or something like that, then you you might have a you might have a, a new edge to the to the way you play. Man, I'm going to have to try some of this beer. I've never even heard of this. Oh, dragon's, dragon's milk? milk? No, I've you've not, never I've, heard of I've, dragon's milk. No, I'm not a beer and fishing. Come on, come on, dragon's milk. Uh, it's like I think it's in, it. It comes from this New Holland Brewing Company in Michigan. I believe it comes from Michigan, and um, this beer it's a. Uh, I believe it's technically a milk stout. So um, a milk stout is always going to have those um, those lactose sugars in there that are going to make it kind of slightly sweet. And it's a dark, heavy beer, but it's got like 11% alcohol content. Oh, and it, Jesus. And right. it, it's aged in old whiskey barrels, so it has like this little hint of whiskey. Like when you're, when you're taking a sip of it, slightly sweet, thick, heavy beer with a, like a whiskey flavor to it. And it's literally like drinking the fluid that's dripping from a dragon's breast. <laughs> that's where it gets, that's where it gets its name, Dragon's Milk. <laughs> it's so awesome. 
Well, I'll definitely take your recommendation and hunt some down for myself. <laughs> See if my gaming performance uh, gets heightened. But we we actually uh, I just taught Clint and Jonathan the game CV. Have you are you familiar with this game? No. It's it's a Polish game and it's essentially a game about you're building your curriculum vita, which sounds like a horribly boring game, but essentially it's like <laughs> a life simulator. It's like playing The Sims, but you're choosing yeah. what life experiences you you roll dice and you spend those dice to buy life experiences to construct your curriculum vita, and you start constructing stories about who you are within really? this context. Yeah, it's it's really pretty pretty fun. I mean, um, it sounds it sounds so dry, but then when you describe it, I mean, how is this conveyed through gameplay? Essentially, you've got a board, um, mm-hmm. and on the there are different cards that come out. So there's three different stages of life. You've got your early adulthood, you got your middle age, and you got your old age. And you also start the game with some early childhood memories that give you some bonuses. You can kind of one-time event things. And so what you're essentially doing is you're rolling dice, trying to get matching symbols of uh, health, knowledge of relationships, of happiness, or of misfortune, and of course the all-important moolah. So you roll these different symbols trying to meet the conditions to buy these cards. In terms <laughs> of the gameplay, it's it's not that involved, but I find that people become so invested on, okay, what card do I really want? It, sometimes they'll make decisions not be based upon what is most beneficial to them necessarily, but what they want their character in their mind, the story they're constructing of their character to do. In oh, life, so. damn, that is like, that's brilliant. Because they become invested, in, not in winning, but invested in like creating something meaningful. That's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And speaking of not winning, um, guys, what happened? <laughs> Clint, you want to go first? <laughs> I unfortunately, uh, I'm trying to remember what happened. I had a, a misfortune and I lost. You had I, a child. That was the I, thing. I had I a child. <laughs> yes, I had a child and then I quit running. So and here's the thing about having children. Children bring in happiness, happiness and relationships, but they also are a suck on your money. So if you don't have money, you would DHS will come and take your children away from you. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was, I had a drain on my, uh, on my money and I just, okay, like I said, I'm getting my PhD, could not roll intelligence or knowledge to save my life. And, uh, and all the cards were all knowledge and money and I didn't have either of those. So I was happy and I was with my friends, but I was dumb and poor. And, uh, well, that sounds like and my life. I just, <laughs> I played my life, man. Uh, I just struggled. I just struggled, but the best part was is at the end. Like I got, I got crushed. I took last place for sure. Oh, I mean, yeah. I just, I just couldn't buy cards. There were many times where I couldn't like acquire a card on the card line, but I still had a great time. I ended up getting a pension, which had like I had to have like certain misfortune hit me, and mm-hmm. I, I was able to, I was able to turn my misfortune into a pension and. Uh, road. I was the least of of the the three of us, but uh, yeah. I still had a pretty. I still had a. I still had a pretty good time. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that whenever you're rolling dice, if you roll three bad luck, um, that means or you'll actually encounter misfortune. And what that means is that you have to discard one of your life experiences. And Jonathan, you went to work for your father. Which got me a lot of money, but at every round it gave me a permanent uh, misfortune, unhappiness, unhappiness symbol. So if I rolled two uh, more, 
I would hit the three, and uh, needless to say, one round I double. I got two misfortunes in one round. Yeah. I was rolling so many dice, and I lost oh, a lot dang. of things. But you know what? Eventually, after suffering through about four or five misfortunes, I became the CEO, CEO of that company. So <laughs> just had to wait long enough. But I have to say, I've never seen you want to flip the table. I did actually grab the edge of the table and stand up for a minute. I will admit it. It's the first time. Hopefully the last time. <laughs> So it is a, it's a very unique game. It I find that it takes a little bit longer than it probably should, but I find that people do tend to enjoy it whenever they can get it out. So I do like that that informal storytelling that that develops within the context of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I'm digging the sound of this game. <laughs> I never heard it until tonight, but it just sounds awesome. Yeah, I found it. Uh, it was came out a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know if it's got a wide U.S. distribution right now. I think Fun Again Games had a couple of copies, and they've been kind of the one bringing it over as an import. So it, it's 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 a fun little life simulator sort of game. I definitely recommend it if that's your cup of tea. But, but speaking of storytelling games, I mean, one of the games that I is no secret I'm definitely enamored with is Mice and Mystics. Oh yeah, that's a cool game. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried it? I've heard yeah. the designer's devilishly <laughs> handsome. <laughs> oh, he is, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a really mice guy. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of curious. What was the evolution of I mean, I, I've heard stories about how you designed Mice and Mystics, initially the story of a way to help your daughter learn how to read and things along those lines. I'm just kind of curious about kind of what inspired the initial idea for you for the Mice and Mystics universe. Okay, so um, now I've told this story a few times, so um, I don't know how other people come up with game design ideas. Mine all just sort of hit me um, kind of upside the head from out of the blue, but my daughter was struggling to learn how to read when she was young and we were trying to help her. And just like a typical dad who thinks he can fix everything, I thought that I thought that it was just a problem with the, the, the reading material that we were uh, exposing her to or what she was being exposed to at school. She was really interested in mice at the time. She had two pet mice and every stuffed animal that she wanted to buy all had all had to be mice. So she was really into mice and I thought, you know, golly, if I could if I could write like a really awesome, you know, adventurous story about mice and then break it up into little chunks, because she she just seemed to get, she would get tired of reading real quick and uh, she would get real fidgety. So I thought if I could break it up with some activity, like a game or something like that, that um, that would break up the reading, that, you know, I, I could maybe inspire her to really want to read on her own and, and be motivated to read on her own. So, um... I had this other game design idea that I had been kicking around that was like about a... Have you seen the, the movie Incredibles? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, like, so, so it's like this family, and they, they all have to work together, and each member of the family has these certain strengths and weaknesses, and the only way that they're actually effective is if they work together as a team. It was like a framework of a game design idea. Well, I kind of morphed that into my and Mystics. I started writing a story at first about... I just wanted to like create this fantasy adventure that was reminiscent of any kind of like D&D campaign but involved little mice and so I came up with the story and I started writing the story and then I started you know bringing in uh, gameplay elements from that other game design that I had been tinkering around with for a while and it kind of morphed into this combination of you know storybook mixed with gameplay kind of thing and um, I was still tinkering around with it and then I had a buddy of mine who was learning how to sculpt 
and he his mentor told him to just go to a random person or a friend or family member or something and just have him throw out an idea for something for you to sculpt and then see if you could you could sculpt that idea if see if you could bring it to to life in, in three dimensions and so he came to me and he's like jerry just throw out an idea throw out an idea so i said how about a badass warrior mouse with like a big cool axe and he's like a mouse <laughs> but he's like ready to kick some butt and i mean his face just lit up and he's like oh man that sounds fun to sculpt and so like it wasn't even a week later he shows up at my house, his chest is just puffed up with pride, and he's like, check it out, and he shows me, you know how they, they carve those sculptures out of, out of that little green stuff, they call it? Yes, uh-huh. He showed me this green, and it's like this cool-ass little mouse with a big axe and, like, all this gear, and he's all ready for adventure, and I just, like, freaked out, so I grabbed my cell phone, and I took a bunch of little snapshots of it. I had this uh, private little... uh little forum that that a friend of mine had set up that was all for uh, uh, people that we know in the world of board game, behind-the-scenes game design stuff. And I posted it up there just for my friends to see because it was super badass. And um, Colby, uh, Colby Dock, the owner of Plat Hat Games, he was a member of this little forum, and he just happened to see it. And he called me up that night, like at 10 o'clock at night, uh, what's the deal with this little mouse miniature? It looks really cool. What's going on there? I was like, ah, oh, it's just for, you know, it's just something that I had Chad do for uh, an exercise for his sculpting, and it has to do with a, a little game design idea I've been, like, tinkering around with. And then he, uh, and then he griped me out because he was like, well, I asked you not, not even a month ago if you had any game design ideas, and you told me no. And then now I see this. What? What are you holding back? <laughs> why Why are you holding out on me? You know, he thought I was like trying to like be, I don't know, like secretive or something. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I was like, well, it's just, it's just a, I don't know, it's just a little project I'm doing for my daughter, and um, and he's like, well, pitch it to me, man. And have you guys met Colby or you know anything about Colby? We met him at Board Game Geek Con last yeah. last year. So he's just like super excitement, super enthusiastic, uh, young high energy kind of person so he's like well pitch it to me man pitch it to me so he made me pitch it to him over the phone at 10 o'clock at night without any any preparation and i just basically told him the framework of the game and my idea and how i wanted to you know i wanted to be played out in chapters and i wanted to have this currency in the game that was cheese so that it would uh you were constantly generating and using cheese and that would just be the the mechanism that sort of you know ran through the game as a currency uh, as a resource and uh, he listened he heard me out and he's like yeah yeah i want to publish it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want to I, I want to publish it just can you have a prototype ready for me by gen con and so uh that gave me a few months to prepare and so i just uh i, I went to town trying to develop a prototype i showed up to gen con and i had the prototype uh, in playable format, I had written three of the eleven chapters um, that make up the the original story of Mice and Mystics, and we were able to play through, you know, a few cha- you know, the first three chapters and stuff. And I, I ended up having to show the game to like so many people, strangers, and everything, you know, because Colby wanted to he wanted to bring some outside people in to look at it and see if it was, you know, to get their opinion. And everybody just loved it, and so there you have it. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad it worked out that way because I, I love this game to death. 
and uh, I know actually Jonathan and I we both we, did you pre-ordered it when I'm first came yeah out? I pre-ordered it this is there's a few games of my life uh, Jerry that I've really really wanted this was one as soon as I saw it go up on the Plat Hop web- website I was like okay my wife uh, kids this is what you're getting me for Father's Day so <laughs> mm-hmm. so they, they they ordered it for me and and it took a little while to come but it was worth the wait Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we all three own it, don't we? Yeah, I pre-ordered it also. Uh, wow. The Gen Con that it came out, mm-hmm. uh, that they were showing it off at Gen Con, was my first Gen Con. And uh, I went went there and had Isaac teach us how to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, I that's exactly what happened. Like, I got off my phone and literally pre-ordered it and said, this is a game that my daughter is, you know, my daughter was one year old. And I was like, we're going to play this when she, you know, when she can even understand what's going on, we're going to play this game. <laughs> and so uh, it, it does kind of the same thing. Is I just love it for almost that. It's like it, it's, it's very interesting that you have, like I said, that family kernel at the start. Because um, for me, the thing that I love about this game is that it exudes almost that, that kind of unity that, I, that you know, me and my family really like um, in board games that kind of brings us together. Yeah, that um, that that whole idea of having like these um, every every member of a family having a different set of uh, attributes that they bring to the table, and so it's not just about oh, I'm the parent and I'm the boss and I'm the kid and I and I can't do anything. Um, really, it's all about empowering everybody to understand that that even at a young age or at an old age, we all have um, so many so many attributes, so many gifts that we bring. Um, even, even when we're just a little youngster, we have so many gifts that we bring to the table and, um, and we, we all have the ability to have a huge amount of impact on the lives of the people around us. And so that's, that's what it's all been about from the beginning. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Jerry, I had a question, um, as far as you taking the initial story ideas and the, the, the chapters, what was, uh, Mr. Bistro's involvement on the writing, um, of the actual campaign book was... Am I misunderstanding that? Did he have some involvement no, uh, with that? Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you brought this up because um, this is something that doesn't often get talked about. But there is a unique relationship that me and Mr. Bistro have <laughs> that I think. That, I mean, I would love to talk about. I want. I want to tell people about how uh, what a magical and amazingly talented person Mr. Bistro is. But what how we do mice and mystics is um, basically I write the entire story. I write out every chapter, every every paragraph of every chapter. Everything is written by me in my crude and Neanderthal writing style. <laughs> I have I, I have horrible prose, um, very amateurish. It uh, my stories are intricate. My stories have a lot of heart, and they have a lot of you know really really gripping uh, twists and turns in my plots and stuff. But my my actual prose and my and my grammar everything sucks so <laughs> the thing about <laughs> the and and that's not what it's all about but basically i write all of it i spend all of the time writing it all knowing full well it's all going to be rewritten but i write it all because i want to convey the story as much as i can the way it's coming out of me but then bistro takes that and what he does is it's like he waves a magic wand because he has a wonderful command of the English language. He we never have to edit his work. I mean, it's just impeccable. He, he's his own editor, right? But he also 
has this way. I mean, he he knows all the characters of Mice and Mystics. In fact, he helped craft their personality. So when you're reading it, the personality that that they have, that's something that's the life that he has breathed into them because he had to keep their characters consistent. So it was a necessary thing that he had to do. But what he does is he makes he waves that magic wand and he just makes it all read like you're reading it out of a storybook, like like a professionally done. Well, he's a professional, you know. And um, so that's our, our our unique relationship. And there's many many times where you know he'll send me an email or a text or something. And it's just like you know I just got chills. I mean he was excited to read my stuff, you know, and it it inspired like you know more creativity out of him and he sees where i'm going with the plot and he gets all in into it and stuff and then and and then he just makes it so wonderful that i when i read his version of my work it's really mind-blowing because it's like so much better than mine i'm like oh yes <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's great i my question i i have a question for you jerry uh in listening to like in reading like each of the chapters like it's almost hard for me not to read the the chapters you, like ahead you, you do i i don't read ahead but okay. i want to okay like, I, was gonna, I was gonna slap you <laughs> if you did yeah no i don't want to read the chapters but it's almost like it's it's really hard not to because it like i said the story is really well written it incentivizes me to want to play more <laughs> yes it does <laughs> it does but one of the things that i was thinking about jerry and i kind of wanted to ask you was so we have you have the base game we have two story expansions the, my question for you is is like is there an is there an end to this like is there an end to the story or is this going to be kind of one of those things that we that we have keep coming out over you know many many years i don't know it's kind of like almost feels like a harry potter type thing of like <laughs> just you know you almost like i said you're going to take it through you know 7 years or whatever are, are we going to get more story content um, yes, uh, you know, if I have anything to do with it, we will. Uh, obviously, we're talking about a product here. So a product, um, everything about a product depends upon demand. It depends upon sales numbers. Um, there, there needs to be, you know, uh, a demand. It has to have a, a viability for, for um, a commercial product. But is there an end to the story? Yes and no. I mean, just like life, you know, I mean, you have i mean life doesn't just it's not just a beginning and then an end there's continuity to life you know a person has children and children go on and they carry on the legacy of their elders um things like that mm -hmm. but i have you know i have everything tied up in a nice tidy package and what i would like to see is if like one of the ideas i have for you know the future of mice and mystics is once the once the entire story arc has played itself out you you could launch a, a full-blown RPG that oh, wow. that blends human characters with mouse characters. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that there would be like this this transition, like this this. I mean, you could play the part in your RPG of a human character. You could play a part of a human character that switches back and forth in between my mouse adventures and human adventures and that sort of thing. Something that I don't think has ever really been done. Right, yeah. And and I think it would be so compelling, especially when you have the combination of the two. I mean, imagine if you're going on an adventure and you are this character that you've that you've created and he's a human but he's got this mouse companion and then the mouse can do its thing, you know, and he you know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm. Like there'd be so yeah, many cool things that you could do, and there's the ways that you could manipulate scale, and um, and just really play in this whole uh, duality of having this mouse world where there's like lots of intricacy and customs and culture among the mice, but then there's also the human stuff too. And I think that's just that to me is just I just find that whole idea really compelling, and I would love to follow through on that. Yeah, I think one of the things that make Mice and Mystics unique is that as you're going through the different tiles, it's a completely different perspective. You know, when you look at some of these other RPG games, it's the typical, you know, I'm a mage, I'm a warlock, I'm going through a dungeon, and this one's like I'm going, you know, I'm going through a, a drainage, I'm going through a drainage pipe, or you know, one this little tiny stream that we wouldn't even think about walking in the rain is, you know, a life-threatening thing for us to you know to to traverse uh and i i think that the different the scale that you kind of talked about really makes it shine and i got to say that if there were seven expansions for my mystics i think i would be giddy to unbelief <laughs> yeah no 100 percent. now one of the things about my mystics that really i just loved a, a lot was there were a couple of moments where there were branching paths where there was more than one way that you could get to your end objective in a particular chapter or within downwood tales there's even a, a the story kind of diverges then eventually converges again i'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious how difficult is that for you to to design that sort of branching uh, element within the story i find it incredibly difficult um and i think it must be true because i don't know of anybody else who's really developed a, their own independent chapter for Mice and Mystics that is, you know, thoroughly fleshed out like the way I do it. Mm-hmm. A couple of people have dabbled with it, but um, they, they probably discover how difficult it is. You have to, there's a cadence uh, to the story in Mice and Mystics. You have to take your plot and you have to chunk it out into chapter-sized bits. And each of those chapters has to play in roughly an hour and a half period of time it also has to be something that you can play as a game so each time you like you work with your story ideas you also have to work within this this uh, structure this framework and it's incredibly difficult um, you're also working with a limited set of uh, materials and I tried to when I d- originally designed my some mystics a lot of people say it has a lot of rules and I'm like yes it, I mean it just it really has to have a lot of rules because there's a lot of different things I need to work with. I need to have the tools to make these these stories, and I need to have that all be available and come in the box when you buy it. And it's so crazy difficult. <laughs> I can I can only imagine because my mind's kind of blown, and I'm like, when I was, I, I forget which chapter uh, we were played at our last game night, and I was the I, the light bulb went off. I'm like, oh my gosh, we have choices about how we want to approach this, and. We were sitting, we, after we cleared a room, we had a little bit of time before, you know, we added more cheese to the minion wheel. But we're like, okay, how do we want to approach this? And it was just kind of this awesome experience of kind of being able to collaborate to figure out, okay, which approach do we want to go? Do we want to be more, do we want to take a little sneakier approach? Do we want to go in with, you know, swords and shields flying? Or do we want to try to uh, see what we can pull off? So that was a very, very cool experience for me in terms of, of gaming. So kudos to you for being awesome. able to pull off Thank you. those elements. Thank you. Have, have any of you played the the Downwood Tales yet? 
I I have I have everything from Mice and Mystics. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have all the downloadable stuff. I have Heart of Glorm, and I have Downward Tales. I have not been able to play Downward Tales because I'm trying to get as far along into all the other stuff before sure. I get there. I definitely want to go in order. So sure. I'm not there yet, but I have it, and I can't wait to get to it. Well, I have this um, every every expansion. Well, actually, every every Mice and Mystics product, I have like. I have this method of like doing there, there'll be a chapter that has sort of a gimmick. I call it my gimmick chapter, you know, Mm -hmm. where it takes the players and it like turns it, it flips the game over and like you, you're end up playing the game, but you're, you'll encounter things that you never would have expected because they're not in the rule book and they're not part of what you expected. They're just sort of like a gimmicky thing. An example of this would be like in chapter three in the base game. I'm sure you've all played chapter three called the um, Mm -hmm. grapes of rats. Where you end up having to, you end up putting on these costumes and disguising yourselves as rats, and you end up getting into like this little gambling session with the rats, right? Yep. Yeah, I love that part. So <laughs> that's the kind of thing that I that I make a part of every uh, Mice and Mystics as as much as I can. Have these these moments where suddenly you're not playing by the the actual rules of the game. You're you're flipping everything around, and you're 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 playing through sort of like a little scripted experience. And um, I, I always wanted those moments to stick out in players' minds, to, to create memories, um, to create conversation points between people who've played the game, and to set set this sort of game experience apart from, you know, other board games, maybe put it more in the realm of, like, reading a book or, you know, maybe even playing, like, a video game where you have, like, this little mini-game, little side thing that happens. and. The reason I asked about Downward Tales is there's like one chapter of Downward Tales. It's like a it's like a stealth chapter, uh huh. <laughs> where I've heard where about the it. entire chapter is really not necessarily focused on fighting, but it's all focused on sneaking around. And there's all these little there's all these little things that happen in a little different ways that that things happen in this chapter that um that I just it just cracks me up when I when I watch people play it and when I hear about their experiences playing it. it it's pretty it's pretty funny. That's awesome. Well, like I said, I am of the of the three of us. I'm probably the one that's most most invested in this universe at this point because I have everything from Mice and Mystics, and I've already pre ordered your new game that's uh, coming out very soon, Tail Feathers. Awesome, awesome. You're my favorite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the other guys here tonight, but yes, you're my favorite. So, so tell us a little <laughs> bit about the development of of Tail Feathers. Sure. Yes. Um, okay. So Tail Feathers. The original idea for Tail Feathers started off there. Um, I, I'm not going to give too much of the story away, but the the mice in the Mice and Mystics world need to get from one portion of the world to another portion of the world. And when you're the size of a mouse, you know, traveling far distances is impo- it's an impossibility. You can't a, a little mouse, you know, getting from one side of the field to the next might be the most dangerous thing it's ever done in its life. So mm-hmm. getting to a whole completely different land would be really hard so i thought you know the mice will probably have to you know fly on birds or something and um so i started developing this uh, expansion for mice and mystics that involved these chapters where they were on birds and um there was a, a awful lot of rules and stuff that went into conducting the way that these birds flew and all this stuff and it became basically more than just an expansion you can't really an expansion, you can't have that many rules, you know. You, right. So it, it became more of a, um, 
it became more, it, more than just an expansion. It started to like take on a life, a life of its own. And then I realized, oh, this could really function as a way to explain how the mice got connected to the birds in order to um, continue on the mice and mystic story. So what this does is it introduces one of the main characters in the Mice and Mystic story arc that um, you'll hear a lot about. But he's an elf that's been turned into a mouse, and his name is Zur, and he's a battle mage. So he has a little bit of magical ability and a little bit of warrior ability. So he's kind of like a really cool combination character. And he's been sent by the elves to find Colin because um, there's this omen that says that when the when the throne lies empty then the land will perish and so they they realize that they have to find the the heir to uh, to owendale and they need to put the king back on the throne and, and they know at this point that he's been changed into a mouse and so they they change their best dragon rider zur and his blue dragon ergen into a bluebird and a mouse and they send him out in in search of colin because they want to Turn him back into a human and get him back on the throne. So that's where it's at. And that's where my um, tail feathers comes in. Um, it's all about the um, this this blight that's taking over the land. It's already consumed the northern northern part of the downwood forest. There's a wide um, meadow that um, splits the two parts of the forest in two. And the rats never cross the meadow because it's patrolled by these evil hunting birds and the mice never obviously go out in the meadow for the same reason. But the rats, they make a pact with the, with the bad hunting birds that basically allows them to cross the field and um, raid the, the, the northern villages, the mouse villages in the northern part of the forest. And then they leave um, some hostages in the middle of the field for the bad birds to swoop down and, um, and, and get their, their portion of the spoils. Unfortunately, on their very first raid, along comes Zur on his bluebird, and he rescues the mice, and he fights off the bad birds, and um, and then he you know expresses to the mice that he's looking for King Colin, and they know all about it, and so uh, you know along come these adventures where he gets swept up in in defending the northern parts of the forest while waiting for King Colin to arrive, and and that's um, the basic the story of Tailfeathers is really. Um, it's reminiscing about these battles that were fought and when you're playing tail feathers you're basically playing these these battles these historic battles that shape the the future of the mouse world so is it something kind of like for example memoir 44 where you have a certain scenario that's laid out for you and forces that are already kind of picked for you exactly a lot like memoir 44 where you where where you have the battlefield set up and then you have the forces that you that you can use but you could also pick your own forces if you want and and we we provide the rules for that and everything and um and there's some story that you read beforehand and then you play out the battle and um there's like a campaign that goes that comes with the game where you can play these series of scenarios and they all link together to form a campaign and as you're playing your troops and stuff that you use in the campaign can um, can get better using a little RPG element to it. Very cool. Very cool. So I know that the, the big thing here is that within Tail Feathers, you're going to have both your air units of mice riding birds, and you're also going to have your ground units as well. How, how is that operating exactly? Well, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's like completely... I don't know of any game that like does this kind of stuff, but... You got these trees that you that you place out. They're modular, and you you place them out to build the battlefield. 
and your foot troops they fight it out on the tree branches um, in the trees and then your your birds they're flying around in between the trees or through the trees and they're battling each other as well they can pick up troops in their talons and carry them over and drop them off on an opponent's tree you can hop on leaves and and your little troops can drift across the sky and hope to land in your opponent's tree and you can also send troops on a ground mission to try to infiltrate the opponent's tree or to try to stop people from inf infiltrating your tree you can send them on patrol missions to try to shoot down birds you can send them on on rescue missions to try to recover some of your casualties uh, there's lots of different things you have going on here and um and it all borrows a lot of the Mice and Mystics um, mechanics and stuff. So if you're already familiar with Mice and Mystics, it's like a no-brainer. You just immediately know, pretty much know a big portion of how to play the game. And uh, you can also, it's also compatible with all of your um, Mice and Mystics figures from the base game of Mice and Mystics. So there, we provide cards so that you can immediately start playing them right away. And I was very impressed that you guys included that because it definitely helps to connect the, the two games, really making it feel like a cohesive universe. And that's something that, that you didn't have to do, but that's what makes Plaid Hat so great, in my opinion, is they are all, you're always thinking about what you can include to give players the most value. So that's, that's great. A lot of uh, game companies, they try, to, um, they try to create a revenue flow um, in the most efficient way possible, and usually that... It, well, many times that means sort of exploiting a completionist uh, spirit within players and stuff. Yep. And, um, <laughs> we're, we're kind of like the opposite of that. What we want to do is we want everybody to feel that, that when they purchase one of our games, that we're constantly aware of trying to increase value of that purchase. So if you purchase another game in the Mice and Mystics universe, it's just going to increase the value of your collection because of the cross compatibility and I don't want anybody to like I don't want people to buy my games and then uh, have them sit on the shelf you know uh, one of the one of the drawbacks of, of Mice and Mystics itself is that you a lot of people feel compelled they have to get the same group of people together they have to you know they I mean it, it, it can take some time to make sure that the conditions are just right and so in between Mice and Mystics you can play a quick game of tail feathers you know, just grab another, just one other person, and you can play a quick game of tail feathers, and you can use those figures from your Mice and Mystics game, and they can get, they can continue to get played even when you're in between Mice and Mystics chapters. So it's very cool. And one, of the, the biggest draw for me initially was seeing those those bird miniatures because they are. Chad did the sculpting for this one as well. Yes, he did. Just amazing. Um, and the fact that they that they you um, they can pivot and tilt, kind of showing that they're ready, and as they're turning, you actually tilt your figure on the stand. That's a brilliant idea, and it really kind of has you a little bit more of an immersion. It has a mechanical aspect, but definitely pulls you into this idea that you're flying this bird and you're deci deciding which direction he's going to go. So, how did, where did that idea come from? Well, years ago, I um, I worked on a game called. Battleship Galaxies for Hasbro, mm -hmm. and so we worked. <laughs> this is a kind of it's kind of funny. We worked on this game. We worked like crazy on this game, and I was one of the co-designers or whatever uh, on it and stuff. But mostly, I was just developing content. And um, we 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 worked on all this, and I we we used just prototype 
crap that we put together ourselves. I actually use like Legos, I think, to to create the ships and stuff. And um, we we spent a long time, a couple of years, working on Battleship Galaxies. So when the game was released, they sent me three copies of the game, and I open up the box and I'm uh, and I'm looking at the ships, and they're mounted on this little ball and socket on on the base. Is, have, do any of you guys own the game? I do not. The, okay, I mean it's hard to find, so. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody bought it. Um, but, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyways, um, uh, it was it was a very limited. I think it was a very limited um, release. But the the ships were mounted on this little ball and socket, and I thought to myself, now hold on. I worked on this game for a couple of years. I wasn't, you know, I didn't. I, I don't. I don't work in the in the Hasbro compound, so I don't know what they got going on there. But at some point, somebody would have had to have decided to spend the extra money to have these things mounted on a ball and socket. And there was no, and I mean absolutely no, gameplay mechanic connected to that tilting that the, that the ships did. Mm-hmm. It was just simply a cool factor, and that was it. And I thought, in my, the very first thing that struck me as I'm like opening up this game for the first time is like, Why? Why didn't we, why didn't they tell us about this? I would have pressured them into, like, making a, a mechanic that, like, because that's cool. It is. And it's, and it's a toy factor, and it's a mechanic factor. I mean, it's really, it's a visual cue. I mean, what a wasted opportunity, right? Well, so I logged that down in my memory banks, and I thought, if I ever get a chance to make a game like this, I would never pass up the opportunity to use whatever I can for visual cues. And lo and behold, when I started talking to Colby about this idea for the bird game, I mean, in, in my mind, I'm like, I want these birds to look like when they're, when they're banking, I want them to look like, I want them to like be severely tilted to the side and look like they're banking when they're flying in formation or one bird's chasing another. It'll look like a little, a little World War I dogfight, you know? And so the whole game is kind of based on this, you know, World War I era tactics maybe but like done in the mousy kind of in a, in a mousy way and that tilting is a big part of the game because it gives your opponent kind of a, a preview of which direction your birds are going to be heading there's still mechanisms in there that allow you to fake your opponent out and like make them think you're going one way you know you, you play a card that brings your bird around another way all that stuff is in there but the actual tilting and everything is not only so, not only does it look cool, not only is it visual, but it's actually a gameplay mechanic that that functions in the game quite well, really. That's awesome. I, I'm I'm very excited to be able to play this. And again, looking at it, it just it's it's a beautiful game, like all of the Mice and Mystics games. It's just production values through the charts. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you guys, like you caught me on like the best night ever because oh. you know what happened today. Like What's today that? is a benchmark day because today our MPCs arrived from manufacturing. Oh, nice! Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys know what an MPC is? Uh, it stands for Manufacturer Production Copy. So basically, what it is is when you are developing a game, that at some point they'll send you what they call a PPC, which is a pre-production copy, and you're supposed to review that and take a look at all the components and everything. But they're not punched and they're not final and they're they're, none of it's final. It's just you know, you, it's kind of a preview, just to make sure that you have the you, that they're headed in the right direction. But mm-hmm. when they send you an MPC, basically what it is is it's I have I can see it from here. It's sitting on my 
on my shelf over there. I have one copy of Tail Feathers that is the manufacturer version of what every player is going to get when they when they get their game in the mail. And my job is to pull that shrink wrap off of it and open up that box and go through all the components and make sure that everything's perfect because we're going to sign off on this tomorrow and then boom they're going to turn that green light on and those manufacturer copies are going to start manufacturing and we're going to get these games out to um out to our players by the end of the year probably in november Hooray! so I'm excited. Yeah, that's exciting <laughs> so i when i went by the office today um because i heard that the mpcs came in i had a 30 minute gap in my schedule today so i drove over to my office and i went in and i looked and i mean it has turned out so good, so good. I'm, I'm. This is the happiest I've been with with an MPC um, in, since I've been doing this. That's awesome. I mean, it's just I, I can't even. I mean, everything is so tight. It's so perfect. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough about it. So I'm like on cloud nine right now. It's <laughs> um, exciting. I still haven't pulled the shrink off of the one that I brought home tonight. The one that I'm supposed to review. Because I've just been so freaking busy. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I got off work, I came home, I had this, all this other stuff I had to do, and I'm like sitting there walking by this, this, you know, tail feathers in shrink sitting right there, and I'm just so excited about it because, uh, guys, I mean, we we knocked it out of the park on this one. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we're the guys that are keeping you from opening the box. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, because I get to talk about it too, you know, and I'm. I'm really trying to get the word out about it because uh, there there are some funny things with tail feathers. We we were kind of hush hush about it for a long time because um you know that tilt mechanism that we just got through talking about mm-hmm. um I, you know it it's a tough thing to get right. It really is. It's a tough thing to get right. So until you, if you have something the whole game hinges on this mechanism and the mechanism could be it could be messed up. I mean, you know, your manufacturing could get it wrong, and you could have delays, and you could have all this kind of stuff. So we didn't really want to talk about tail feathers too much for a long time on our podcast. I just called it Codename TF, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we were really, really working with manufacturing to get that mechanism, that tilt mechanism, so perfected that we don't have to worry about it anymore. And now it's like, boom, we're wide, like wide open to talk about it, and. You know, I'm trying to go on podcasts. I'm trying to get the word out about tail feathers because I feel like, you know, we missed that Gen Con window. All we had there was just a, a few resin birds and a poster to talk about, you know. I really want people to understand how different the gameplay is and how unique it is and how different from your other flying games. You know, people are like trying to compare it to X-Wing or Attack Wing or Star Trek Wing or whatever. But this isn't like those at all it's like really it's really a lot more it's more like mice and mystics than it is like x-wing that's for sure there's a lot more whimsical stuff to it and it's just really i can't wait i can't wait to see people's reaction to it well i can't wait to have a copy in my hands (laughs) so you said it's end of the year that's really exciting that's great yeah it's everything's going going really well on it so we're stoked fantastic so was there is there a part of tail feathers that that you're the most proud of? Is there a element of it that you're just like, yeah, I think that we just completely this is something that it brings to the table that no other game is really doing. I know you hit on a couple of things. I was just kind of curious if there's anything that was personal to you that was really special about the game that you put together here. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's it's sort of the sum of all of its parts. The game is um, beautiful. So when you when you walk by a table of tail feathers being played. 
if you were to look over and glance at the table for a split second, your eye would immediately register. You would know everything that's going on because it, it creates a, a visual imagery right away. You got birds that are that are chasing each other through the sky and they're banking left and right and some of them are landing on tree branches and you got troops floating across the battlefield on leaves shooting arrows at other birds or other troops, two leaves colliding in midair and guys are jumping from one leaf to the next and battles are happening on tree branches and all this stuff is happening and if you just walk by and you didn't know what the game was, you would immediately know what the story was, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The game, but but my biggest source of pride for this game is it's fun. I mean, and that to me is like the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, literally, it's fun. And um, and you know, we when a lot of people, everybody I've seen play it, we we all have had such a fun time playing the game. Playing through the campaign is my favorite because you get a little bit invested in your troops because you've upgraded them as you've gone through the campaign. And you've worked your way towards trying to like win the climactic battle in the campaign, and that just feels really rewarding. But it's so it's so easy because you know you can play through a campaign in a, in a day. You know, it's not like uh, Mice and Mystics where you really have to invest in long term in trying to work your way through an entire you know book of Mice and Mystics. This is like a little bit more fluid. So in so. other words, what he's saying is you guys have no excuse. You have to play with me. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Well, I just a quick question. You may not be able to answer this, Jerry, but do you think you guys will have this available for demo at BGGCon this year? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. good. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I heck, I'm going to go out to um, a couple of the local game stores here in town and demo it here before Essen. Nice. I just need to get some some practice. So, um, in demoing it, because I've never done big public demos, and I want I want to be like. I want to like I want the demo to like work within an hour and I want to make sure that our demos cover everything that players need to know so that they can make a, an informed purchase because um, this is another plaid hat thing that we don't want we don't want people buying our games unless we're certain that they're gonna love our games you know what I'm saying it does yeah. us no good to sell games to people who don't play them or don't love them we don't want we don't want that we want all of our games to come into the hands of the people who are gonna love them. And the best way we can do that is to get out there and talk about them, demonstrate our games, and 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 try to show people, you know, what what they're all about, so that they can make an informed purchasing decision. Because nothing's worse than when people feel like they've wasted their money. We want everybody to feel like the money that they invest in our games are like totally worth it and well spent. That's that's a great philosophy, and I think the big thing here, especially with Tail Feather, since it is it's it's it takes place in the Mice and Mystics universe. But it, it is its own game. So mm-hmm. I guess, is there any concern that you have that people are going to see, oh, Tail Feathers is another expansion for Mice and Mystics? I don't need that. I, I see that that could certainly be a possibility, that there might be some misperception about what Tail Feathers actually is, and that it is something that's unique, that's different from Mice and Mystics. Yeah, that's certainly going to be a challenge of ours as we try to get, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to get information out to the public than you think, you know, when... We've done some studies about our um, about plat hat games and market penetration and stuff like that, and it, it's really surprising. Like, I mean, many many game stores, like literally game stores in the United States, who've never even heard of plat hat games, believe it or not. And I, I, um, we found that to be true because we we play tested Dead of Winter, got some of our local store game store owners to play test, and we were 
kind of able to get them exposed to Plat Hat and now Dead of, Dead of Winter's in, on their shelf and uh, Mice and Mystics. Mice and Mystics and the expansions to Mice and Mystics are up there. And so I kind of felt like we had to do a little bit of work just to get that exposure <laughs> out there on our end here. Yeah. And thank you so much. And we've, we, for a while there, we were um, really, really trying to get our, trying to get our fans to cheerlead for us and everything. But what we, re- what we really realized is that it's just the way that our industry works. It's really hard to get information out there um, and dispersed uh, effectively. You know, and and you when you're when you're doing good and you're selling games and people are loving your games and you feel like you're, you know, you're you're on top of the world when it comes to to the world to the industry. You just don't realize that there are so many people out there that would love to play our games who've never even heard of us. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's weird. Well, I feel like we we have conversations we've had amongst ourselves that we say that we tend to be a little bit plaid hat centric on our podcast, but there's a reason for that because you guys are do stellar stellar work. No, so I am kind. very excited about Tail Feathers coming out, and um, if any of our listeners have not checked out the images of this game, you owe it to yourself to go and look at it, see what this game has packed in this box because it's very very impressive. So I think that brings us to our closing segment, which we call the punch list. So in this segment, what we do is one of us presents a category of a board game. None of us know what it is, but what we have to do is think about a game that we deem punchworthy that meets the conditions of this category set. It may not be the best game, but it's one that we consider to be a favorite. (laughs) So... This week, Clint is doing the punch list. So what do you got for us? All right, gentlemen. So I want you to sit back and I want you to think hard. Oh, All, right. So All right. As uh, Jerry is on, is on, and I think that he has done a very good job of taking a story and making something that you want to hear, you want to see what's next, what's in the next chapter. So you like, like I said, it has a great continuation. And so my question for you guys in the punch list is, what would be a game that if you had a choice, you could keep a continuation of a play and continue it on to another play? So essentially taking a game that we like and making it a campaign of sorts. Campaign of sorts, yes. So what game, what game that's not a campaign game would you want to make a campaign game? So as always, I will go first. Thank you. I I will go first to give you guys some things. Does that make sense, Jerry? Yep. Okay. So my, my thing is, so the number one, I had, I was thinking about it for a second. Don't do it. And, uh, and don't do it. The power grid. <laughs> That's exactly right. So I will, uh, I will, I will say that the number one, the game that came to my mind is Zaya. Okay, he didn't say what I was thought I was going to say. All right, you're good. What, what do you think I was going to Just say? Carry on, carry on. I was going to say that, but uh, oh, you but, changed the last second, no, you I cheater. I, that was my number one. I, I still think. I still think that uh, that would be very good. Uh, we're talking about Robinson Crusoe. You shouldn't have said it because he probably just took Jonathan's, but go for it. Is okay. that what, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. But I'll going. say Zaya is, is um, I love the idea of Zaya. And um, I still haven't got to the table yet, but I can already tell, like, in looking at that, 
uh, the reason why I got that is is that it is that feeling of um, this open endedness of going out and just just choosing something, shipping, uh, mercenary work, uh, just exploring. You can do whatever you want. It's kind of that open world sandbox game. And for me, the only thing that I really have a problem with is this idea of that when the game's done, putting you know wiping the boards and putting all all back. I kind of want to make my own. <coughs> firefly crew of like bringing on new people different personalities and going and doing things and so sitting down saying okay we're gonna play a three-hour game and i'm going to take whatever cool things that i that i gained of this and i'm gonna play this again with you know in the future you know next time we sit down i'm gonna have that shipment of spice that i that i went all the way over to the other side of the the world, you know, the galaxy to grab. So I I would really love to find a game that has that kind of continuation, and you're kind of just going from from you know place to place and just kind of doing your own thing and building your own renown for your 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 spaceship and your crew. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Jerry, do you have one that you want to go ahead and do before we steal it? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean. Um... I love the whole idea of um, of having you know these um, like big big miniature battle games, but also having like a campaign feel to it. And I just don't know if that's been effectively done yet. Um, but I think that Warhammer 40k um, back when I was was into it, um, we I, I created this thing called um, Don't Laugh. Are you guys familiar with for, uh, Warhammer 40K and Necromunda and all that? Well, yes, I, cre- I created yeah. this thing called 40 Cromunda, <laughs> which was basically <laughs> I took the I, I took the 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 whole campaign system of Necromunda and I sort of morphed it into 40K so that we could play these battles of 40K, but we were able to like use these different um, uh, Necromunda style uh, campaign rules. And, uh, and it, that, I mean, it, I didn't do it effectively enough so that it would be as rewarding as it should be. But the whole idea of like investing yourself in the continuation of whatever you've built, whether you, whether you won or lost or, or what have you, that, that, that isn't the end. That's not the final thing that you keep on getting to go and you keep on getting more and more invested in what your troops or your characters or whatever. That kind of thing just uh, I find it so compelling that um, that I would love to apply that to many many games, but 40k yeah. would be a cool one because all the stuff you could do. I really I really kind of agree with you there. I, I've played some CCGs and uh, some other miniature games, and that's something that I always kind of wish. It's just like yeah, we have this little battle, and then we stick all our miniatures in the box, and and we we talk about that battle, but. There's no, there are no repercussions. There are no, you know, we're not, I, I like, that's a good idea for continuation. Cool. Uh, for me, I mean, just thinking, hearing you talk about Necromunda not that long ago, well, maybe a year ago or so, uh, I dug out some figurines and kind of tried to come up with a Old West kind of Necromunda type thing with your outlaw gangs and stuff like that. Played it with my boys a couple times. It was fun. It was fun. I do like that idea of, of that continuing world. Um, but playing a game that came to my mind is playing with my youngest son. I taught him how to play the Lord of the Rings living card game. And usually it's just a one-off mission. 
I'm stealing yours, aren't I? No. I'm okay. Just, <laughs> you're, you're fine. You're okay. Fine. Uh, usually it's like kind of a one-off mission. You know, you've got your heroes and they've got their allies and they can get their armor and their weapons or whatever. But at the end of the game, um, he, he, he wanted that permanence. He was just asking, and he's seven, by the way. Um, but he was asking, you know, well, how do we keep track of our progress? How do basically how do we save our game? You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's a video game. I love to play on the on the Wii U, but he wanted to save the game. He wanted to continue from where his guys were, you know, with the swords and armor they'd gotten, with the allies they'd gotten out, and and he he didn't quite grasp at first that you know this was a one off. You know, we got to start all over again the next time we play it. That's fair. I just yeah. Again, I was fully expecting you to say Lord of the Rings card game, and I was fully expecting Clint to say Robinson Crusoe. I really tried to avoid it this time. I didn't go there. I I really tried to avoid it, but he was so sincere about it that I I don't know. I could see the the fun of continuing on a quest. And I realize in that game they've, especially in their Saga expansions, they've come out with um, some sort of a campaign mode um, with some minor things. Okay. So mine's going to be a little bit different, but it is a plaid hat game. There's actually uh, two came to my mind. Uh, (laughs) Well, I think I'll mention Dead of Winter. I think a campaign mode of Dead of Winter would be very cool. Seeing people as they're moving out of the compound, maybe doing different scenarios, stuff like that. But again, it, you kind of have the different scenarios that pop up within that game. So I'm actually going to talk about a design by Isaac, which is the Bioshock. So the Bioshock board game Siege of Columbia. Mm-hmm. I I love this game. And I feel like it doesn't get the love that it, it deserves. It's a very fun dudes on a map game, and there are some different um, elements where you're tr- you have these victory tokens, and you have to meet different conditions, uh, different things that pop up. But I would love to have new missions that pop up that, as you carry on, you'll get upgrades to your forces that you can take on to the next battle. I think that would be a lot of fun to be able to have that. I know that uh, the chances of seeing an expansion for Bioshock is pretty pretty slim to, <laughs> to nothing but uh I, I think i would love to see uh a bioshock campaign of some sort i think that was one of the criticisms of it is that the uh, initial setup of the board is always the same so i think if they could find ways to bring in uh different like here's a mission that you guys are working towards or you know different capture the flag or something like that i don't know but i think that would really bring a really cool element to that board game very cool all right. Well, I believe that brings the conclusion of the Punched and Played podcast. But before we go, I do have one more question for Jerry. So one thing that's always been in the back of my mind, because I am definitely interested in the idea of narrative in games, and that even when sometimes games that don't intend to have a strong narrative, sometimes they'll have that element that kind of allows and inspires people to create their own narratives as they, as they play. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I've always kind of been toying around with is this idea of how player choice influences and redirects the narrative. I didn't know if you've had any uh, any thoughts on this, of how the choices you make would actually end up changing the direction the story goes. Yeah, you know, that um, that's, a, that's something that we, I think all game designers have been um, working with a lot lately, is that that sort of uh, organic way in which a game will, um, a, a session of playing a game will sort of grow on its own organically based upon the choices that the players make. And then when when you view, in, in hindsight, when you view the entire game experience, it's, it, it, it's a narrative. You could say, 
oh, and then we went here and we did this and this happened and this, you know, and then we discovered this and all that. And it creates its own narrative. That kind of thing is probably going to be, in my opinion, is going to be um, a big part of the future of board gaming. And I think that you're probably going to see quite a bit of uh, technology impacting our industry as we try to innovate. Um, and undoubtedly, um, you know, everybody has a smartphone. Smartphones can do incredible things. We can integrate you know, smartphone technology and expand, I mean, crazy, in crazy ways, we can expand what the social dynamic can do in a, in a board game with the use of, of, of these tools that everybody has. So yeah, it's very much on the tip of our tongues right now. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to the future then. So, <laughs> but again, but, thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us. Uh, it is a real, uh, real honor to have you on here. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, Jerry? Or is there anything else you want to plug before we go? Just Tail Feathers. We got Tail Feathers coming out. Pre-orders are up right now on our website, platthatgames.com. If you, uh, if anything that I've said tonight on this podcast sounds interesting to you, please go to our website and check out my game. We have a lot more information on there. We're, we're doing regular previews three times a week right now. And you can pre-order through our website. You get 20% off, plus you get a free chapter for Mice and Mystics and a couple of extra cards for Mice and Mystics. So if you already own Mice and Mystics, it's like a no-brainer, people. Um, it is. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. I'm Mice underscore Guy. Fantastic. And I don't imagine you can give us any tidbits on what you've been playtesting. Um, well, I got to play a couple of uh, sessions of Seafall the other day. Excellent. Uh, Isaac is working, and yeah, Seafall is awesome. Um, Isaac is working on a new, um, he's working on a new Dead of Winter product, mm-hmm. which is very, very interesting. We got um, Emerson has got a game in development right now at um, Plat Hat, which uh, which is really, really awesome. That I can't really talk about. So uh, <laughs> we all kinds of things going on, most of which right now I can't really talk about. But Seafall is right now where it's in the it's in the major, you know, crunchy Seafall stage right now. Yep, it's gonna be amazing people i look forward to seeing the final product absolutely and i think yes. I, I i don't know i know emerson has quite a few little games in the pipeline i play tested one of his so i'm i'm looking forward to that one coming out if we're talking about the same one so we'll yeah see. the guy's a the guy's a genius <laughs> <laughs> he is great have you played his uh his social deduction game is that the one you played no no it's a different it's Car- caravan i think you're thinking of oh a caravan yeah, yeah it's caravan yeah it's a- yeah, that's that's good. He's got a social deduction game that um that is just ah, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. Oh, I can't wait to try it. Oh my gosh, it's like my favorite. Um, I can't wait to play it again. <laughs> I played it a couple of times, and it was so it's actually pretty funny. I played it one time, and I'm like, oh, I'm learning this game. I'm learning this game. This is cool. I'm kind of learning it. The next time I played, I'm like, I'm the best at this game because <laughs> <laughs> now I know what I'm doing, you know. And that, I, I just love that. It just it is. How does cool it apply game. to the inebriation co- correlation? <laughs> oh, it's like, it, dude, it's like right in there. <laughs> Sweet spot. Yes, the more inebriation, the better. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, some fun times. Well, I look forward to the uh, trying out that Emerson's social deduction game. 
So I'm I'm been very impressed with his work. So again, I think that brings we've gone on long enough. We've kept Jerry from opening up his uh, production copy of uh, Tail Feathers. So again, thank you so much for joining us, um, and we wish you the very best of luck with future success in Mice and Mystics, thank Tail you. Feathers, and anything else you work on. Thank you. Absolutely. So as always, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Punched Played, and you can find us on our website at punchedandplayed.com. So. Until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them.